Well, good morning again, everyone. So good to see you on this Lord's Day, and thank you for worshiping the Lord through song. Now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 1. And I want to share the first message today in a New Year's series called The Way of wisdom. I don't know about you, but as the new year begins and as I see some of the challenges and the opportunities ahead of us, I find myself saying again and again, Lord, I need your wisdom. So over the remaining Sundays of the month of January, we're going to look to the book of Proverbs. And today's message is entitled, Learning to Walk in Wisdom. And of course, if you're a regular at Ingleside, you know, one of the reasons we're looking at Proverbs is that's where our chapter a day readings are right now. And if you're not part of that journey, let me encourage you to be a part of it. Just pull out your phone right now, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address. And in the morning, about five o'clock, you'll get an email from me that will have a hyperlink to the chapter. It'll also have some words to help us understand and apply what we're reading. If you sign up, you'll join literally hundreds and hundreds of us as we're abiding in God's Word every day. So today we want to dive in this first message entitled, Learning to Walk in Wisdom. Now, before we dive in, I probably ought to say, as always, this outline is available on our Ingleside app. Just touch the notes button or go to ingleside.org notes. You'll be able to get it there. And I should say a warm, warm welcome to everybody who's joining us today on the live stream, on TV, uh, and in our contemporary worship service. I'm really glad you're here this morning as well. Well, if you have a heart to hear the Lord's wisdom, here it is in Proverbs chapter 1. Follow along in your copy of the Lord's Word as I read aloud from mine. The Bible says, the Proverbs of Solomon son of David, king of Israel. Now, we ought to stop just right there to say that means this wisdom is almost 3,000 years old. Solomon reigned during the 900s B.C. He was the third king of Israel after Saul and after David. And in response to his prayer for wisdom, the Lord gave him extraordinary wisdom. And so he not only wrote proverbs and songs, but he collected that wisdom. Much of it is found here in the book of Proverbs. Then look in these introductory verses, verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Verse 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then the introductory section ends in verse 7 by saying, the fear of the Lord. Now, that word LORD, notice it's in all caps. 
It means this is the personal name of God, not just a higher power, not just some cosmic force, not God in some neutral sense. No, the Bible says the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who revealed himself to Moses and gave the law, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to fear him, to fear the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as we begin this journey through Proverbs today, we probably ought to ask two or three questions. Here's the first one. You have your pen in your hand, you're going to need it now. So, as we ask the question, what is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? I just want you to circle some words in those first seven verses. In verse 2, circle the word wisdom, circle the word instruction, circle the word insight. In verse 3, circle the words instruction and wise dealing. In verse 4, circle the word prudent, circle the word knowledge, circle the word discretion. In verse 5, circle the word learning, and circle the word guidance. Now, listen as I read those words aloud. This is why God gave us Proverbs. Wisdom, instruction, insight, instruction in wise dealing, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, guidance. Listen, on the front end of this new year, if like me, your heart says, that's what I need. I need guidance. I need instruction. I need wisdom to walk in the ways of the Lord. Then this series is going to be just for you because that's why the book of Proverbs was written. I love the way the New Living Translation uh, translates verse 2 and 3. It says, the purpose of the Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people. I love this. Let this sink in. The purpose of the Proverbs is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Listen, that ought to resonate in the heart of every parent. You ought to say, that's what I want for my guys and girls, for my kids. I want them to have disciplined and successful lives. I want them to know and do what is right and just and fair. That ought, to, that ought to resonate in the heart of every young person on the front end of life's journey to say, Lord, show me the way to walk in your wisdom. Give me the kind of discipline to know what to do and how to do it in order to please you. If the first question is, what is the book of Proverbs all about and what's its purpose? The second question is this. Who will benefit from the wisdom found in Proverbs? And these first seven verses give us two answers. Here's the first answer, number one. It says in verse 4 that the book of Proverbs will benefit those who are younger, untaught, and inexperienced. That's what it says in verse 4. 
those who are, another word it uses is simple or naive or uninstructed, those who are young or untaught and inexperienced. And then in verse 5, it also says, those who are older, well-taught, and well down the road of wisdom, you will benefit too. Now, let me see a show of hands. How many of you are in the first category, those who are younger, untaught, and inexperienced? Can I see that, your hand if that would be you? Okay, I see you, a number of you around the room. How many of you are in that second category, older, well-taught, well down the road? Some of you don't know which category you're in. That's why this series is about wisdom. And so I'm, I'm going to hope you see some in the coming days. You know what this what this, uh, these two verses is really, are really telling us is that every one of us, young and old, just beginning the journey or well down the journey, if we have a heart to listen and to be teachable, God will use the Proverbs in our lives to give us wisdom. They really serve as a corrective, really, to what life is like when we live by our natural instincts. Um, did any of you watch uh, the sitcom Seinfeld when it was on TV for a number of years? I'm seeing a few nods around the room. Uh, for those of you who did not watch, it was an NBC sitcom. It ran for nine seasons, 1989 to 1998, 180 episodes. It was set, uh, set in New York City. Some, the critics said, it was really a sitcom about nothing. It was just about life, and it was humorous, and so, uh, Seinfeld's friend, George Costanza, was one of the characters, and Steve May, in a message entitled Wise Up, says that in one of his favorite episodes of Seinfeld, George Costanza decides he's tired of being a loser. And this is how he described himself. He was in his mid-30s, he's unemployed, he's broke, he's desperately single, and he lives with his parents. And as he's sitting with his friends in the coffee shop that he's in, he realized he's gotten into the shape he's in, listen, by following his natural instinct. His natural instinct, he concludes, has brought him nothing but misery. So right there, in the coffee shop on that day, he decides from that moment on, he's going to do the opposite of whatever his natural instinct is. He says, in fact, he said, quote, I normally order tuna on white bread, but today I will do the opposite. I'm ordering salmon on whole wheat. And with that decision, the entire episode unfolds where he does the opposite of his natural instinct. And by the end of the show, his life has turned around. He's dating the woman of his dreams. He has a job with the New York Yankees. He moves out of his parents' house into an apartment in Manhattan. And all of this happened in one episode because he stopped following his natural instinct and started doing the opposite. Now, need I remind you that this is a TV show? <laughs> this is not real life. It doesn't happen that quickly and easily. But now, wait a minute. There's a hint of truth here because later in the book of Proverbs, we're going to learn that there is a way that seems right to a man, natural instinct, but in the end, it leads to death. Death. 
So now listen, look right up here. Our natural tendency is not toward wisdom. It's toward foolishness. And if you just follow your natural instincts through life, you're going to find that many of the things that seem like a good idea at the time will, be, will prove to be miserable choices that you wish you hadn't made. So in order to succeed in life, to genuinely succeed in the eyes of God, we need more than our natural instincts. Instead, we need wisdom. And the Proverbs show us how to get wisdom, how to apply wisdom, and how to walk in the way of wisdom on a day-by-day basis. That's what this series is going to help us do. Well, with that bit of intro then, what's the first step on the journey? Write it in on your outline. The first step on the way of wisdom is a right relationship with God. The first step on the way of wisdom is a right relationship with God. Now, that's reflected in the theme verse. Did you see it? It's Proverbs 1-7, and I think it's such an important verse. It'll play out through all 31 chapters of Proverbs that we ought to just read this aloud together. So, it's on your outline. I think they'll put it on the screen. I'd love for everybody here in the worship room, on TV, online, wherever you are, let's read it aloud together. It begins the fear of the Lord. Are you ready? Let's read together. Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, this verse is so important. I I think it ought to be repeated. So how about just the men? Men, uh, you, you all join me. Just the men. Let's read together. Are you ready? Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, ladies, how about you? I'll get you started reading. Ready? One, two, three, go. Do you see? The proverb writer is telling us how to take first steps, and he's saying, I know this is not the only path you could take. You could walk another path that's not the way of wisdom, and it's the path of the fool. It's a path of despising wisdom and instruction. I love the way the message paraphrase puts this verse. Look at it. It says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God, and only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. So listen, maybe one of the reasons God has brought you to this place on one of the first Sundays of the new year is to just help you recalibrate and reorient, and maybe for the very first time ever, put God in the first place in your life. I'm going to give you a chance and a prayer at the end of our time together to do just that. Well, how do you do that? Well, did you notice the beginning of this verse? 
it focuses on the fear of the Lord. Now, whenever I read that, I thought, you know, a lot of times when we think about our relationship with the Lord, fear is not the word that comes to mind. Um, but it's what is used here. It says that's the beginning. That's the first step to fear the Lord. It, it sort of made me think about a lot of different things you can be afraid of. And I guess I, that's what I want to ask you today. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? And so I, I did a little research and you know, one of the phrases related to fear that I know you've heard is the phrase that says, be afraid, be very afraid. It was actually a tagline from the 86 horror film, The Fly. You Google that phrase, you'll get about 183 million results for it. And people are afraid of all kinds of things. But the trick in life is to be afraid of the things that you ought to be afraid of and not afraid of the things you ought not to be afraid of. For instance, so you may be afraid to fly in an airplane, but do you know that statisticians tell us that you have one one hundred thousandth of one percent chance of dying in an airplane crash. It's minuscule. But on the other hand, the car industry estimates that the average driver will be involved in three or four crashes in their lifetime, and the odds of dying in a car crash are fully one or two percent. It means you're more likely to die on the drive to Atlanta than in the airplane from Atlanta is what it means. It goes on to say, are you afraid of heights? It's the second most reported fear. I'm a little afraid of heights, but your chance of being injured by falling, jumping, or being pushed from a high place is one in 65,000. But the chances of having your identity stolen these days is one in 200. Do you fear being killed by a bolt of lightning? The odds of that happening are one in 2.3 million. You're much more likely. Y'all, when I read this one, I thought, can this really be true? But I thought, it's on the internet. It's got to be true. So, I mean, <laughs> it says you're much more likely to be struck by a meteorite than being struck by lightning. The odds of being struck by a meteorite are one in 700,000. How about dogs? Are you afraid of dogs? Their bark is worse than their bite. Your chance of suffering a dog bite is one in 137,000. On the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn is one in 3,600. Quit mowing the grass. That's the lesson. <laughs> How about sharks? The stat statistics say you are much more likely to be killed by your spouse than a shark. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I found out this week. So now watch this. The key to living a successful life is to recognize there are some rational fears, but some are irrational. To be afraid of what you ought to be afraid of, not afraid of what you ought not be afraid of. So now look right up here. God's Word says that if you're going to walk in the way of wisdom, the first step is to fear God. It reminds me in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when one of the Pevensey kids was going to meet Aslan, the God character, the lion for the first time. And when she discovered he was a lion, she said, oh, I I'm afraid. Is he safe? And one of the other animals said, no, he's not safe, but he's good. 
And as you and I approach the living God, we need to just be reminded he's not safe, but he's good. And we should fear him. Now, let, let, me, let me just go ahead and address an objection. I know that some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are saying, ah, but Pastor Tim, this is, this is Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff about fearing God. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus said the main thing was to love God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you're right in so far as you've gone. Jesus did say that. But did Jesus ever say that we should fear God? The answer is yes. You might want to write in the margin of your outline, Matthew 10, 28, Luke 12, 4 and 5. The same Jesus who told us to love God said, don't fear someone who can just take your physical life, but instead fear the one who can send your soul and your body to hell. I love what Oswald Chambers says about the fear of God. I think he's right on point. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So what about you? Have you taken this first step? Let me describe what this fear of the Lord is. I'm going to give you five words. Write them on your outline. To fear the Lord means to approach him with awe. Awe. A sense of wonder. A sense of majesty. Second word, write it in, is reverence. You relate to him with reverence. Third word, write it in is honor. You speak of him and you act toward him with honor. The fourth word is respect. You use his name and by your actions and your words you convey respect to the Lord. And finally the fifth word, write it in, is authority. You submit to his authority. So, in the way of wisdom, the first step is to fear the Lord, to be rightly related to him through Jesus Christ and put God at the center of our lives. Then everything else could fall in place. You know, if we had time this morning, I would take you through the entirety of the book of Proverbs to look at all it has to say about the fear of the Lord. I've done that, and as you read with me a chapter a day, I want you to notice it just occurs again and again and again. Let me give you just two or three. The rest of it will be homework. In chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is something we choose. That by God's grace, you can choose beginning today in response to the gospel to trust and follow Christ and to fear the Lord or you can choose not to. Secondly, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is gained by being eagerly attentive to God's word and God's commands. So if you want the fear of the Lord to grow in you, then you give attention to his word, like through a chapter a day. 
A third thing the Bible teaches us in chapter 3, verse 7, is the fear of the Lord is the opposite of being what the Scripture calls wise in your own eyes. The Bible says the person who is wise in their own eyes is proud and haughty and unteachable and unmalleable. I was studying this week, I came across a true story that impacted me. It dates back to February 22nd, 1911, when a Frenchman climbed the Eiffel Tower to test a new parachute he was developing for pilots. He checked the wind, he took a nervous breath, he began the test, his silk parachute filled with air, it sailed safely to the ground. But this Frenchman who was testing his parachute did, uh, did not actually make the jump himself. He used a 160-pound test dummy. Well, there was one man watching that, actually an Austrian man who was also trying to develop a new parachute, an Austrian tailor, and he ridiculed the Frenchman for not actually making the jump with the parachute himself. So a year later, on Sunday, February 4th, 1912, the Austrian tailor came back to the Eiffel Tower with the parachute he had developed. When he said, look, I'm going to actually jump, unlike the Frenchman a year ago, the Frenchman was there and said, don't do that. Don't you know there are, there are errors in your calculations? This is not going to be good. The Austrian tailor said, no, I'm going to do it. Now, I learned a little bit about parachutes. Parachutes use 700 square feet of fabric. They should be deployed only above 250 feet. The first guy's parachute, or this Austrian's parachute, used less than 350 square feet of fabric, and he deployed it at only 187 feet. He had neither the surface area nor the altitude needed to make a successful jump. Not only did the Frenchman tell him not to, other experts told him not to, and even his own data told him not to. He had tested the parachute with a dummy. They had all crashed. He had tested his parachute by jumping 30 feet into a haystack. He had crashed. He had tested his parachute by jumping 20 feet without a haystack. He crashed and broke his leg. And now he says, I'm going to jump off the Eiffel Tower. And so he did. He fell for four seconds. He accelerated constantly. He hit the ground at 60 miles an hour. He made a cloud of frost and dust and a dent six inches deep in the earth. And he was killed on impact. Why? because he was wise in his own eyes. He couldn't hear correction. He couldn't hear wisdom. He couldn't hear a warning. He didn't have the humility to say, maybe I'm wrong. Now look right up here. Church family that I love, I do not want you in the coming year to crash and burn because you've been wise in your own eyes. But instead, I'm praying in your life and in mine, God is going to make us 
people who choose the fear of the Lord and his wisdom and walk in it for his great glory. The Proverbs have a lot of warnings. As you make your way through, you're going to hear some just like these. Chapter 8, verse 13, the book of Proverbs teaches us the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Hatred of evil. Now, on page 3, your homework is to go home and look at every one of these verses. And you'll be able to write in what you need to. For those of you who are really concerned that you get it right, we will post the answers on the internet. <laughs> and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that God's wisdom prolongs life. It's a fountain of life. It brings riches, honor, and life. It, it, it brings blessing. When the, I'll give you the last one. Chapter 31, verse 30, when he's talking about the virtuous woman, he's teaching us that those who fear the Lord should be praised. They should be honored. And boy, we always want to do that. Now, page four of your outline, let's wrap it up by looking at two more verses. And this is what we learn. Write it in. The way of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is best taught, the book of Proverbs says, by godly parents, by godly parents in God-honoring families. In verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, Hear, my son, here it is, your father's instruction. And forsake not, here it is, your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And then as you move through those first nine chapters of Proverbs, you see over and over again this parental instruction that's being given to a young man and by implication to a young lady. So I want to speak uh, now to every young person in the room. Every young person who's a child of middle school or a high school or a college student, a young adult, but you are still in some ways under the authority of and dependent on your parents. You say, well, how do I know if that's still me? Well, here, here's some things to ask. Do I live in their house? Do I sleep in their bed? Do I eat at their table? Do they fund my life or my tuition and my housing? And am I still on their cell phone plan? If any of those are yes, <laughs> if any of those are yes, then this is for you. God has placed your parents in your life to show you the way of wisdom. And if you've been bucking up against that and resisting that, I've given you a letter you may want to modify and then sign, give to your parents. It says this, it says, Dear Mom and Dad, I know that to be wise means that I will honor you by listening to and obeying what you teach me. I'm sorry when I've been disrespectful and disobedient, and I'm asking God and you to forgive me. Please keep teaching me how to be wise and to honor the Lord. Please tell me with your words and show me with your example, and even when I struggle or fall short, please don't give up on me. God's Word says you're the voice of wisdom in my life. And today I'm making a new commitment to the Lord and to you to listen and obey. I love you, Mom and Dad, and I need you to help me be wise. Now listen, guys and girls, 
If by God's grace you make that kind of new commitment to the Lord and your parents today, you're going to be well down the road on the way of wisdom. Now what about for moms and dads in the room? Maybe you need to write a letter and share it with your family. I've written it from the perspective of the dad, but it could be from the mom. Dear family, I know that God expects me and your mom or me and your dad to lead our family, to love him, to learn his word, to obey his commands, to walk in his wisdom. I'm sorry for the times that I've not provided the spiritual leadership I should have. And I'm asking God and you to forgive me. And today I'm making a new commitment to the Lord and to you to learn to lead our family in a way that pleases God and to make seeking him our first priority. My desire is for my voice and my example to always reflect the wisdom of God and his word. Please pray for me and encourage me as I make this new commitment. And I love you. And then moms and dads, you just sign that. Listen, dads, I want to speak directly to you as we move into the new year. You know what I believe I'd do if I were you and I still had kids at home? I'd read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and then I'd pull out just one verse or two. And I would huddle everybody up together, and I would say, hey, gang, hadn't always done this perfectly in the past, but guess what? I'm learning this principle from God's Word. It's wise. Read the verse. Tell them how you're applying it or how you failed at it and you're asking God's forgiveness in it and then encourage them to do the same thing. And if you will multiply that, moms and dads, in your homes, oh man, what God will do to help your kids learn to walk in the way of wisdom. Now there's one last blank I want you to fill in and that is to walk in wisdom always means trusting and following God's Son, Jesus Christ. You see, you can't fear the Lord and dishonor His Son at the same time. To fear the Lord always means trusting and following His Son. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I hope you're going to be back every week of this series. We're in for great instruction from God's Word. Hope you'll invite somebody to come with you. But I'm going to pray, and when I pray, if you need to make a new commitment to the Lord, you do that. And then uh, after the prayer, we'll sing our concluding song. It's a great song about mercy. You see, all of us have fallen short, but God's mercy is more than our sin. You ought to stay and sing every word of it. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for teaching us today. I want to pray for some guys and girls right now that just need to make new commitments toward their mom and dad and toward you. I want to pray for some moms and dads right now to make new commitments to lead their home to walk in the way of wisdom. Lord, I want to pray for that person who's been listening and saying, I don't know that I know the Lord. Help them right now turn from their sin and put their trust in you. And say, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me. Please save me. I want to walk with you and I want to fear God. Lord, for that person who's sort of proud and haughty and wise in their own eyes, would you break through that pride before it destroys them and help them be willing to trust and follow you? Lord, we want our lives to reflect your glory. 
and we want to walk in wisdom for your namesake. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.